Hey all, before we get to the show, we want to ask you a quick favor. As we begin production on season two, we want to know what you like about the show, what you think we could do better, and what you would like to see in the future. So if you have about five minutes, help us out by taking a short anonymous survey on the contact us page at travelinggeologist.com. We would really appreciate it. Okay, here's the show. As we have seen throughout this season of geologic expeditions of yore, geological processes continue all over the world in an endless cycle of erosion and sedimentation, erosion and sedimentation. These processes could be likened to a gigantic hourglass in which erosion and sedimentation continue unceasingly. Eventually, the hourglass gets turned upside down, the bottom of the sea is uplifted into mountains and the whole process starts all over again. It therefore seemed evident to geologists who played the dating game that if the rates of these geological processes could be measured, then they could be used to estimate an age of the Earth. How old is the Earth? For centuries, scholars sought to find an answer to this question. About 350 BC, Aristotle argued that the Earth must have existed from eternity. Roughly 300 years later, the Romans concluded that Earth formation was relatively recent, given that there were no records going back beyond the Trojan War. Then again, others used biblical accounts to determine the age of the Earth. The most famous of these estimates being the one proposed by Archbishop James Usher in 1654, who suggested that the Earth came into creation at 6 p.m. on October 22, 4004 BC. Starting from the 18th century, however, scientists began to accumulate evidence that the Earth must be much, much older than this. Uranium was the clock geologists had been looking for, which would allow them to tell geological time. So slow is her rate of decay, her ticking clock, that she requires four and a half billion years, almost the total age of the Earth, to be reduced by half her original amount. So today, there is half the quantity of uranium left in the world as there was when Earth first formed. In another four and a half billion years, half of what is here today will be gone. Of the daughters she conceives, radium will decay to half its original amount in 1600 years, a timescale we can begin to comprehend when we realize that 1600 years ago, the Romans were leaving the shores of Britain after their 400 year occupation. Radium leaves behind radon, which is highly unstable and intensely active. So rapidly does it give up energy and liberate helium that it decreases by half every four days. In its place arises another product of even more transitory nature, its activity falling by half every three minutes. And so on, continuing down a long succession of transformations, the shortest of which has a half-life of less than a second. It hardly exists at all. But the most remarkable feature about all these radioactive phenomena is that they continue unceasingly, for year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium. The spontaneous production of helium goes on, accompanied by an unfailing evolution of heat. At last, the stage was set for geologists to escape from the physicist's straitjacket of 20 million years. The clock had been found, all they had to do now was learn how to tell the time.
Hi everyone, Chris here from the Geology Podcast Network. In this podcast, we tell the amazing stories of geological expeditions of yore. As cliche as Newton's axiom, standing on the shoulders of giants, has become, for geologists, this is especially true. Whether it be the orogenic history responsible for James Hutton's famous unconformity at Sicker Point, or Chaim Ganser's Himalayan expeditions disguised as a Buddhist pilgrim, it is upon their shoulders that we stand to uncover the geologic mysteries around the planet. We will explore the stories of intrepid men and women whose adventures and discoveries put humanity on a course of greater understanding of how our planet works and how the geologic past has shaped our present. Today we have Jana Liebman and Brian Ware, two fellow geologists from Perth, Australia, who are going to share with us the discoveries of Arthur Holmes, a geochronologist who revolutionized the geological timescale in this episode of Geological Expeditions of Yore. Take it away, Jana and Brian. Hi everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Geologic Expeditions of Yore. Today, Bryant and I, both geology researchers currently living in Perth, Western Australia, are going to talk about a personality whose research was a quantum leap towards answering this fundamental question. How old is the Earth? Hi, thanks, Yana. Yes, today we know the Earth is 4.56 billion years old, but how did we get here? As we heard in one of the previous episodes, by the end of the 18th century, James Hutton, the Scottish geologist, had formulated his concept of deep time, suggesting that the Earth was older than could be grasped by the human mind, showing, quote, no vestige of a beginning and no prospect of an end. Geologic and biologic concepts like James Hutton's notion of deep time from the 1780s and Darwin's theory of evolution from the 1860s suggested that Earth and life on Earth, as we know it today, has developed over immense timescales significantly longer than the time span of 6,000 years, as suggested based on biblical evidence in the 17th century. Which raised the question in the scientific community, how long exactly? How old is the planet we live on? Arthur Holmes, British geologist born in 1890, played a key role in what turned out to be a true intellectual drama during which some of the most influential researchers of their time would bang their heads together. But before we talk about how Arthur Holmes' achievements settled this debate, or as close to settling a debate as science gets, we have to elucidate the background of this, as you called it, intellectual drama. When Arthur Holmes was a student in the early 20th century, the scientific community began to accept that Earth must be old, but there was no agreement on what old meant. Part of this controversy was that then, and perhaps still now, geologists were often considered to be numerically illiterate. As physicist John Perry put it, I dislike very much to consider any quantitative problem set by a geologist. In nearly every case, the conditions given are much too vague for the matter to be in any sense satisfactory. Lord Calvin, one of the dominant physicists of this time, condemned geologists' unscientific demands for unlimited time. About Hutton's theory, he said, It is pervaded by confusion, a complete misinterpretation of the physical laws. For 18 years, it has pressed on my mind that essential principles of thermodynamics have been overlooked by geologists. 
Based on thermodynamic calculations, Lord Kelvin suggested that the Earth was roughly 20 to 100 million years old, a number that was well below the estimate of hundreds of millions of years or even indefinite timescales proposed by some geologists and biologists of the time. Until the end of the 19th century, there was no tool available to determine the age of rocks or fossils. Hence, the attempts to determine the age of the Earth were based on dubious assumptions, or as John Phillips, a geology professor at Oxford, put it, an abuse of arithmetic. However, the discovery of radioactivity at the end of the 19th century should change this. And this is where Arthur Holmes comes into play. He was a pioneer in the field of geochronology, the science of determining the age of rocks. Brian, since you're a geochronologist as well, could you explain to us what role does radioactivity play in determining the age of a rock? Yes, radioactive isotopes are used by geochronologists to determine the age of rocks. But first, let's take a step back to what an isotope is. Elements of the periodic table are each defined by their number of protons, so changing the number of protons will then change the element. So oxygen, for example, will always have eight protons. And if we take one of those protons away, we then have nitrogen. What we can change, however, is the number of neutrons for a given element. When the number of neutrons changes, the mass of the element changes. However, because the proton numbers have not changed, that element remains, giving us instead isotopes of that element. Radioactive isotopes are unstable isotopes that decay from what's called parent isotopes to what we call daughter isotopes. Using the uranium lead system as an example, the radioactive isotope uranium will decay to a stable isotope of lead. This decay occurs at a known rate, and because we know this rate, we can then measure in a rock or a mineral the amount of parent isotopes and the amount of daughter isotopes. And using that decay rate, we can calculate an age. person to ever date a rock was the physicist Ernest Rutherford, a pioneer in the studies of radioactivity, also known as the father of nuclear physics. A few weeks after his successful attempt to measure the amount of radium and helium, Ernest Rutherford was walking through the McGill University campus in Montreal in Canada when he ran into the professor of geology. Upon asking him how old the earth was, Rutherford was told that the recent estimate was around 100 million years. Rutherford, however, had determined a piece of rock to be 700 million years old. During a lecture that Rutherford gave at the Royal Institution, Lord Kelvin was made aware of this latest wild finding. Rutherford told this story in his own words. I came into the room, which was half dark, and presently spotted Lord Kelvin in the audience and realized that I was in for trouble at the last part of my speech dealing with the age of the earth where my views conflicted with his. To my relief, Kelvin fell fast asleep. But as I came to the important part, I saw the old bird sit up, open an eye, and cock a baleful glance at me. Then a sudden inspiration came, and I said, Lord Kelvin had limited the age of the earth provided no new source of heat was discovered. That prophetic utterance refers to what we are now considering tonight, radium. Behold, the old boy beamed up on me. As a student at the Empirical College of Science in London, Arthur Holmes began to apply the back then new technique of radiometric dating to a range of rocks. 
He said that his vision was to establish a reliable geologic timescale as an invaluable key to further discovery in every branch of the science, its mission will be to unify and correlate, and with its help, a fresh light will be thrown on the more fascinating problems of the Earth and its past. He was only 21 years old and hadn't completed his PhD degree when he published his first geological timescale based on uranium lead dating of minerals. The correspondence of Holmes' values with the modern ones is remarkable, given the limitations of the techniques available to him. In the initial edition of Arthur Holmes' famous book, The Age of the Earth, he estimated the oldest rocks to be 1.6 billion years old. In later revisions, based on new measurements and improved methods of dating, he corrected this age to 3 billion years, and then, in the 1940s, to 4.5 billion years. The advent of radiometric dating settled the old controversy about the age of the Earth with physicist Lord Kelvin in the favor of the geologists. However, many geologists initially were quite reluctant to accept what they considered an excessive extension of the geologic timescale by billions of years. It is difficult for us today to appreciate what a traumatic experience the discovery of radioactivity and its implications must have been for the traditional geologists of the time. In a matter of a few years, it was uncovered that they all had been hopelessly wrong about the age of the Earth, and the conventional way of thinking about the Earth's systems and interpreting geologic processes had been turned upside down. Just as Arthur Holmes had predicted in his vision, the establishment of a reliable geologic timescale would open the door to answer more fascinating problems of the Earth and its past. Today, geology has its dates, just like history does, providing a framework for the evolution of life and all that went before it. Arthur Holmes was a supporter of Alfred Wegener's theory of continental drift at a time when it was far away from being universally accepted, since it was unclear what mechanism was responsible for moving tectonic plates across the surface of the Earth. Arthur Holmes proposed that the generation of heat in the Earth's interior through radioactive decay would cause the mantle to convect, just like heated air circulates through a room, with warm air rising to the ceiling and cold air sinking to the floor. Holmes speculated that these mantle currents carry the continents that sit on top of them. New evidence from seismologists, physicists, and geochemists would later confirm Holmes' model for mantle convection. The 20th century was without doubt an exciting time for the Earth sciences. Within a couple of years, and certainly by the end of the 1960s, a scientific revolution had occurred, and there were only a handful of geologists left who still did not accept the new ideas about seafloor spreading and continental drift. Today, geochronology, the science of dating rocks by using isotopic clocks, has become a central, indispensable part of the geosciences. In his speech upon receiving the Betlison Medal to honor his contributions to the Earth sciences, Arthur Holmes said, Looking back, it is a slight consolation for the disabilities of growing old to notice that the Earth has grown older much more rapidly than I have, from about 6,000 years when I was 10 to 4 or 5 billion years by the time I reached 60.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, it is very helpful when you rate and review the podcast. The Geology Podcast Network is sponsored by Traveling Geologist. Editing and music production was done by Michaela Moore. Episodes of the Geology Podcast Network are available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the first season of the Geology Podcast Network's Geological Expeditions of Yore. We have enjoyed looking back with you at some of the influential geoscientists that have shaped the field we know and love today. We're taking a break now, but we will be back before you know it. Until then, continue to get your geology fixed with one of our other shows on the Geology Podcast Network through your favorite podcast app or on travelinggeologist.com.